0: Excited this morning to be uh, kind of turning a corner. We took a little pause this summer for a little break in the book of Acts, but this morning we're diving back in to this series, and the hope is to finish it in time for a Christmas series. So if you remember, we, we actually started this last fall, and and then I kind of halfway through, I was like, how many chapters are there again in Acts? So we're, we're getting there, but hopefully you've been blessed and encouraged by it like I have, and we've come a... A long way, if you think about it, since the beginning of the earlier beginning church, or our first section was called the original church, and really the the launching pad, what God did through the early church at Pentecost, kind of getting it started, and the ball was rolling and kind of taking off in Jerusalem. And you might even remember this uh, conversation that was had between the current religious leaders of the time, Trying to figure out what in the world do we do with these new Jesus followers. And you might remember this uh, Pharisee by the name of Gamaliel. He had this suggestion that he made to everyone, all the current religious leaders. This is what he said to him He says, Keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. Or better put, maybe as my uh, grandmother said it, is uh, the proof is in the pudding, right? Well, there's been a lot of pudding since then. Like there's been a ton of pudding. In fact, a lot of the people are recognizing this is moving from being an irresistible church to being an unstoppable church. It wasn't a surprise in that region. Everyone knew what was happening. In fact, it describes in Acts chapter 17, 20 years later, when Paul and Silas were arriving in a community, this was their description. They referred to them as men who have turned the world upside down. We know better than that. It wasn't men that was turning the world upside down. It was the God behind the men turning the world upside down. And they went from just this little movement to now all of a sudden taking over the region, taking over in households and families and individuals' lives like crazy. Remember also in Acts chapter 2, it had a beautiful description of the early church. And it says that the Lord was added to their number day by day, those being saved. Pretty awesome description every single day, God adding to that. But here's the cool thing. Now, again, like I said, 20 years later, Acts 16.5. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. Daily. So this wasn't a, a flash in the pan. This wasn't a passing thing. God was on the move. He was building his church. And what I would suggest this morning, he's still building his church. Even here in little old Agora, God is building his church, drawing people to himself, being the irresistible God that he is. But here's the problem back then and now is that makes people a little uncomfortable. Why is that? Here is what I'd suggest. Because people don't necessarily like change, right? People don't necessarily like change. In fact, I was thinking about that in even the silly stuff, we don't like change. Our staff uh, gets together every other Tuesday for our staff meeting to catch up and go through things uh, moving forward on the calendar. And uh, one of the things I noticed, we meet in the conference room. I don't know if you've ever been there on the, over on the campus here. And uh, every single time I come in there, I look to see if anyone is going to possibly be sitting in a different seat. No, th- these agents of change all sit in the exact same spot, kind of like the risers in the front row here. Like that, they're, they're, we're creatures of habit. We don't, we don't like change, especially when it relates to giving up to something we hold so dear as our idols. You see, they were breaking into a region that was very committed to idol worship, very focused on celebrating a plethora of gods. And here's the problem we're going to see in the text is our God doesn't play very nicely with other gods. He doesn't play very nicely. And so, and so he's engaging, he's breaking into this culture, and they're seeing, wait a second, these, these people that are claiming to follow Christ, they're literally acting on it. They're changing their behavior, their actions, their patterns, their, 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 the objects of their affection. It's all changing, and that's making us a bit uncomfortable. I wonder today... If the same were true of us, if the, I read this week, 34% of Americans would claim to be a Christian right now. Can you imagine if 34% of our country actually started shedding the idols that they follow, started literally living out the faith that they claim to have? What kind of a radical transformation that would have on a culture? Well, we're going to see that happening in the book of Acts with the city of Ephesus here this morning, but let me pray before we dive in and watch the abandonment of idols. God, we are thankful, so thankful for this chance to be together this morning. And I would propose the reason, God, that the majority of the people are here this morning in this room is because they believe you have a word for them from your word. So we ask for your spirit to move, to work, to speak to us, to meet us in our point of need, to nudge us where we need to be nudged, encourage us where we need to be encouraged, all the things that only your spirit can do. We invite that now that we need to go into this section with anticipation as to what you're going to do in our minds and hearts. We pray that in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So... Chapter 19 of the book of Acts, it's so helpful if we all look at it together. You can do that on your phone, and the Bible, in the pew in front of you. Steal the person's next to you. Whatever you got to do, let's look at it. It says this in chapter 19, verse 21. Now, don't really steal. Don't do that. Okay, so Acts chapter 19, verse 21. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, "'After I've been there, I must see Rome.'" And having sent to Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Stop there to give a little background just briefly where we're coming from. It says after these events. If you remember where we're at in this section, we're on Paul's third missionary journey. Basically in present-day Turkey where he's bringing the gospel into completely Unreached areas. He spent about two years now in the city of Ephesus, and is having a major impact on the folks there. A major impact, and in fact, he's God's doing so many miraculous things. People are like, man, everybody has heard about Jesus. In that, in that entire region, pretty powerful uh, picture there. So he's having an impact. In fact, I love it in the last section that we're in, it said that he was doing so many miraculous things through Paul that even a handkerchief that Paul was using would be touched to somebody else that was sick and they'd be healed. How cool is that? So, like, as a bald guy, like a sweaty handkerchief, like, that idea is, is pretty sweet. So, so, God's doing the miraculous, having many revivals in that area. In fact, all of these Christians that used to be entangled in the idol of, of uh, magic are, are confessing it, coming clean, burning all their books. You can read about it previously in the book, of, in, in the chapter 19. They're burning all their magic books, and God is doing a work, a beautiful work. So much so that Paul's recognizing, you know what? There's an established church here. It's time for me to move on. He wants to take the message of the gospel to the heart of the kingdom there, if you will, uh, taking it to Rome. So that's his plan we read about there in this section. Before he leaves, though, he spent a little bit more time where he's presently at. He's going to be exposed to one last taste of opposition in Ephesus. We're going to read about it in verse 23. About that time... There arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul "...has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with human hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trait of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship." So you see what's going on here, pretty intense. First, it says that the, the way is causing a disturbance in the force. So the way, just a, a description there, the way, if you're not familiar, well, that's one of the terms that they gave for all the followers of Jesus. And the reason they gave that title, and we've mentioned that before, is it's a descriptive term for the exclusiveness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The exclusiveness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, like I mentioned at the beginning. The gospel doesn't play very well with others. In fact, Jesus was very clear on that in his words in John fourteen six. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Our kids just got back from Hume. They were there all week and had a fantastic uh, time at camp. And I remember just before leaving, we gave them this little pep talk. Maybe you've done with your junior hires before. We're just like, listen, we need you guys to be super inclusive, Make sure you include everybody. And we even uh, mentioned, you need to be Stephanie Ross on this trip. You, know, you, need to, you need to pull everybody in and make sure there's nobody feeling excluded. And, and here's the thing, and, and I don't know how that went. I, I hope as well. We, we'll debrief later today. But he, here's the, the reason I mentioned that. God's not really like that with false idols. He's not like, hey, yeah, come on in. Let's, we're, we'll all be in this God thing together. No. He's not at all like that. In fact, he's pretty, no, I'm the only way. I'm the only, Jesus is the only way to God, the only option. So whereas the gospel is inclusive in the sense of everybody's invited, it's exclusive in the sense that it's only through Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? And here's the thing, then and now is in a culture committed to tolerance, a culture committed to tolerance, That doesn't go very well, especially when the culture is so heavily influenced by a specific false god. A little bit about this city of Ephesus, and I've mentioned it briefly before, they were very committed to Artemis. If you know anything about Artemis, Artemis, also known by uh, the the term of Diana, uh, was a, a Greek goddess. She was a kind of a, here's a, a picture, kind of a creepy thing there. Uh, we'll take that down. But uh, the idea of this is she was the goddess of fertility and the goddess of virginity. I'm not sure if their biology was real clear back then or what, but, but either way, kind of a confusing God. But, uh, but there's believed to be Zeus's daughter and Zeus's daughter that was sent down from Jupiter. You're like, how do they come up with this stuff? But here, here's the thing. This is an interesting fact. In that time period, there was a meteor that hit the earth. We still have that happen today. And this meteor close to Ephesus landed. They found this rock and they concluded, man, that rock sure looks a lot like Artemis. It looks a lot like her. And so it must be the God sending her image down from Jupiter. Same conclusion we would come to, right? And, uh, and, and so, so they took this rock it was so celebrated, they built this amazing, ornate worship center to celebrate Artemis. In fact, this temple of Artemis was so well-known, it was known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Isn't that crazy? So they built this temple all out of marble, super impressive. In fact, historian Ant- Antipater of Sidon, this is how he described it. He says, I have set eyes on the wall of lofty Babylon, in which is the road for chariots, and the statue of Zeus by the Alphaeus, and the hanging gardens, and the Colossus of Zeus, uh, or the Colossus of the Sun, and the huge labor of the high pyramids, the vast tomb of Massolus. But when I saw the house of Artemis that mounted to the clouds, those other marvels lost their brilliancy. So this was a beautiful man-made achievement, uh, something that the city, as you could imagine, it took great pride in, right? It was, it was the Disney of that day. They had tourists coming from everywhere. And here's the idea of these guys that were making things, were introduced to Demetrius. What they're making was kind of, if you would think of, kind of a, a, a keepsake from their visit. Like, I don't know if you've ever gone to see that. Anybody have a little mini Eiffel Tower, maybe from their trip, or, or, or somebody have the, the Disney Castle, and I, I'm not going to shame you here for that, but here it's, a, it's, the same, it's the same idea, only a little bit darker because those proved to be altars for worship for the people that took them home. So literally an object of worship. They're like, man, I, I saw the stone. Not sure it was Artemis, but it was a cool stone. And they're, they're, they're worshiping her and celebrating her. And really their livelihood was so attached in this kind of center of tourism that they're panicking. I pictured this guy, Demetrius. So he's gathering all the craftsmen that make these, these uh, shrines. He's gathering together. He's got his sales charts out. And he's like, okay, th- this arrow that's going upward that's the followers of Jesus Christ. They're on the incline. This aerial that's downward, that's idol sales. That's idol sales. This is a this is a problem for us. Because why? Because why? Because we make idols. And this Paul guy is teaching something that's very harmful to our business. What does it say that he's teaching? That God's made by human hands aren't really gods, ding, 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 ding! like uh, like, uh, like, this is bad for business, so he's panicking a little bit, right, he's like, hey guys, there's a lot at stake, and he tries to turn it to be a little bit religious, because uh, you know if this keeps going, it's a threat to our business, and it's bad for beautiful Artemis, not so beautiful Artemis, and so he's he's, he's got a little bit of panic there, and here, here's the thing that, that, that you realize, is this idea of our faith when it doesn't play well with others, makes folks a little nervous. The way disrupts idol worship, or at least it should. At least it should. So let's continue and see how they respond. So he gets them them a little worked up. So he introduces this idea that we're we're in a little bit of jeopardy here. And then the the second section, uh, starting, uh, where am I at here? Thank you. Uh, Verse 28 When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, political folks, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. So here you see a pretty drastic response. It uses a couple words there. gets a a taste or feel for how they're responding. What does it say? It says they were enraged and began crying out. What in the the world is that? Why, Why is that? Because you see what's happened here is Demetrius, had exposed one of their idols. You see, he's, he's, he's exposed an idol. And what happens is when we find a, an idol of ours exposed, we get a little nervous. It's a little bit threatening to us. We don't, we don't like the idea of it. It causes us to close our hands more tightly around it. And here's the dangerous things about idols, and we've maybe mentioned this before, is anything can become an idol, even things that you would never suspect anything that's been elevated to a place that you're like i find my purpose and meaning in this and i can't imagine life without it that's when you're like oh that's getting kind of dangerous into idol zone And, and, and the thing is good things unfortunately can become an idol when they get transferred into being god things are you tracking with me so things that aren't exactly what you thought they were. They, they look great from the outside. You had one picture of what it was. And then before you realize it, you're like, ah, that wasn't designed to be an idol. Have you guys ever had something that happened where you thought one thing was one thing, and then you discovered after a little further, ah, that's not what I thought it was exactly. I, uh, tell you a, I'll tell you a story from... A couple weeks ago, Caleb Standifer was having a retirement party, a little get-together, meeting in their backyard, and some folks were there, and a real nice time. And we had just gotten back from a, a trip, and so Adrian and I needed to just stop in for a little while and then head back to be with our kids. So we were heading out, and Adrian, I told Adrian before we were leaving, I was like, well, I'm going to just say goodbye to a few people before we go. No, no big deal. And so she's sitting at the table, I get up, say goodbye to a couple, uh, couple people, and I come back. And uh, come back to Adrian and after I was finished and just start kind of rubbing her shoulders and crusting her neck a little bit and say, hey, hon, it's time for us to go. I looked down. That wasn't Adrian. <laughs> so Sabrina Flegg's hair looked real similar to Adrian's from the back. And how was I to know she was going to sit in Adrian's seat, you know? so sabrina's like where are we going (laughs) so isn't that miserable yeah that doesn't really necessarily tie in that much to this sermon but a little bit of the idea of something that you think is one thing and you find out wait a second that's not at all what i thought it was we've made uh things right everything's good uh thank the lord um so, so, so anyway, I was thinking about that. I was listening to a, a sermon by Tim Culler, and he's talking about this idea of how often idols are one thing that seem like, man, they're, they're a good thing. And then when we allow them to get in the wrong place in our life, they become a potentially even a dangerous thing. And when I say dangerous, it's because they become a competing God, they become a competing God. He made this list I wanted to share with you, and I thought really a lot of those are very relevant for us today, kind of breaking them into categories. The first one are different personal gods that can slip inappropriately into that title. Money is probably a a favor in our nation, in our country, in our region, in our town, all all of that. It's a a big one. It can be used for amazing things, right? God can do fantastic things in money, but he wants it to be a medium for exchange, not a idol to worship. How about the second one? You might read that and you're like, well, why would marriage and romance? Well, well, here's the thing. God designed marriage and relationships to be an awesome thing. It's his act of his kindness, but in, in, in inappropriately elevating something, it too can become a God in our life with this third one you're like how's that on the list how are kids you know like uh, we're a kid focused church like we love kids like that's a that's that's what we're about children's ministry all this stuff and you're like even that inappropriately worshiped when your life is consumed with their children when that's your all in all when they're the object of your affection you're like that's a problem too See, anything has the potential to become a God in our life if we're not careful. This other one, religious. It's kind of interesting that some of those things, even though we hold as truth, and we're like, man, I've got the corner on truth. Here's the thing, a little break of the news to you. No one's going to arrive to heaven and not have something, at least one thing you're wrong on. Okay, like here's the like all of us are going to find out something like, oh, shoot, I missed that. You know what I mean? Like for sure that's happening. But we can elevate that truth thing. We can elevate spiritual gifts. You can elevate morality. I do. I don't do this. They do do that. I'm way better than them. All that stuff can become idols in our life. Culturally, it's fun uh, at this men's retreat. My best friend Joe was speaking, and he comes from a large Italian family. And in uh, Chicagoland, what is elevated more than anything? Don't mess with the familia, right? The family is everything. Even that, something that's meant to be a good thing, can become a God thing. If we're not careful, family, individualism, I'm different, I'm set apart. That can become a God, a political system. You notice anybody that puts a lot of hope and faith in politics? Anybody notice that trend? Or am I living in a different country than you guys? Uh, here, but you, you get it. All of these things that can naturally be an awesome thing when misappropriately directed become a God thing. And here, here's the thing is, is we recognize that so often when it's being threatened, we start getting really anxious. We start getting really nervous. Please don't take that from me. Don't take that. Don't. You know, that, that's the idea here. That's the idea. People come in rage when their idols are threatened, and worshiping idols, next section, leaves people cranky. There's a biblical term. Look at verse 32. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. That's kind of funny to me. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. Bummer to be Alexander. Alexander, go talk to him. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Stop there for a second. Okay, so this is what's going on. So first off, that phrase there, it says, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not even know why they'd come together. They're like, we're just mad because it's fun to be mad. Like, that's a, that's a crazy thing. I remember, I've told this story before. I was on a missions trip. We were in Argentina, and uh, the local soccer team uh they they were they're called Boca Juniors I don't know that sounds like a small burger uh but anyway but uh uh but either way the soccer team had won this like regional tournament and all the people from the town were all in the town center going crazy they're cheering and celebrating doing chants and our team that was with there were just like a a few of us were like let's join them so we're out there, we're chanting stuff in different languages. I could have been saying, I hate my mom. I would not have known. I don't. Uh, but but here's, the, here's the thing. We're out there, we're cheering. It was a good old time. It was just fun to be in the mix of some celebration. But here's the same thing that's happening on the negative slant of that. They're just ticked off. These people are mad. They're like, I'm not sure what we're mad about, but I sure am mad. And here's what I'd attest to the reason for that. And here's the trend that you'll maybe even notice in your own life is when things that aren't meant to be worshiped are worshiped, guess where it leaves us? It leaves us kind of disillusioned, disappointed, frustrated. You're like downright cranky because the things that we're hoping to find hope in don't offer it. They don't provide it. They can't ever provide it. And so that's the danger of idol worship for pagans as well as Christ followers. If we're honest with ourselves, we can get distracted. Well, I'm prone to wander when something gets into the unrightful place of a God in our life, all of a sudden we're like, man, why am I just in a bad mood all the time? Why am I, why not, why am I cursing on the 101 when somebody drives in front of me? Why, not that I would ever do that. But uh, why, why, why are these things happening? What I'd suggest is maybe that needs to do a little bit of heart check in our life to ask that question. Man, what, what's gotten out of order What's gotten elevated that maybe shouldn't have been such a big deal in my life? What's, what's out of whack that's causing me to be so cranky? Why am I just on edge all the time? Man, idols can do that to you. When you're worshiping the wrong stuff and just disappointed consistently, that's what it does to us. It leaves us depressed, cranky, and annoyed with everything around us. That's where they're finding themselves in this crowd as the mass is there, disappointed, and they're chanting. And listen to, they found one thing they could all agree on Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They could have at least rhymed it Great is Artemis of Ephesus. I'm like, why didn't they say that? But uh, anyway, so they're chanting this thing. And what does it say? How long did they do it? Two hours. Have you ever yelled about anything for two hours? Maybe the Dodgers, uh, but, but, but anything else, you know, like it's very uncommon. And so finally, after the two hours, I imagine they're kind of getting hoarse. They're like, all right, enough with Artemis. Okay, 35, when the town clerk had quieted the crowd. Can you imagine the town clerk? You're like, come on, I got a government job. I'm not going in front of them. But anyway, he does. It says, he said, men of Ephesus... "'Who is there who does not know "'that the city of the Ephesians "'is temple keeper of the great Artemis "'and the sacred stone that fell from the sky?' "'Remember, we talked about that. "'Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, "'you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. "'For you have brought these men here "'who are neither sacrilegious "'nor blasphemies of our goddess. "'If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen "'with him have a complaint against anyone, "'the courts are open.' There are pro Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, listen to this. It should be settled in the regular assembly, for we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. When he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Let's talk about that a little bit, what's happening. So there, you're almost, after those two hours, you're almost convinced of their devotion to Artemis, right? You're almost like, no, these people are legit. Like They really believe in this, this, this goddess, weird-looking deal. Like, uh, like They're really buying into that. But then you get a chance to see their bluff called. What happens there is this clerk or city worker goes up and tries to reason with the group. I don't know, he drew the short straw. Goes up, tries to reason with them, and listen to what it, the case that he makes. Listen guys, everything's going to be all right. Everybody knows that Ephesus and Artemis are a thing. Like, it's, it's fine. She's going to be all right. It's all okay. And here's the thing. He said, listen, if Demetrius has an issue, the courts are open. They can take it into court, and the Romans will help decide that. They're very fair and reasonable, right? And so they're like, take it to the court system. Go through the proper channels. Track it. It'd be a conversation you'd have with a, a group even still today. And then he says something. This is a turning point. Then he says something. We have to be careful, though, because what we're doing right now might be considered by the Romans as rioting. That was a, that was a key word to them because rioting, if you to us, that's like, oh, yeah, P- Americans re-riot all the time. No big deal. But, uh, but in that culture, rioting under a heavy-armed Roman Empire was a capital offense was a capital offense. So if you're found to be a rioter in that day and age against the mighty empire of Rome, that is when all of a sudden death is on the line. So basically he's asking this simple question, are you sure this is worth dying for? Are you sure this is worth dying for? And what do all the people conclude? We're out of here. Like, not, not so much, you know, like I like my trinkets, I like that, but Artemis, like no, thank you, I'm not dying for this cause. And that is why the temple of Artemis today looks like this, and while the, why the church of Jesus Christ is still taking ground today. Because why? It's something that is worth dying for. It's something that people are still dying for because it's worthy of that. The one true God is worthy of our affection and of our devotion. And so you see the question that at the beginning Gamaliel had asked, if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. They're starting to discover that, whoa, we can't overthrow this because it is an unstoppable church. I'm going to leave us with two things, just a couple thoughts. You can't talk about idols without encouraging us to do a little self-assessment in our own lives. What is something that maybe the threat or risk of it being taken away is like, whoa, I, I can't imagine, I can't, couldn't live without that, I can't live without that, it's too important. Then you maybe have to do some hard truth to yourself, and that's kind of become an idol. I got to take that off the throne. I got I to reposition things. I need to readjust and re-elevate appropriately the one that is worthy of our affection and the one that doesn't play very nicely with false gods. That's one thing. And also, as we think about ministering and reaching out to those around us, not to be shocked when we come across somebody that's entangled in idols and kind of cranky. Like, uh, it should move us towards compassion. You should be like, I know, not say it to him, but in your head, I know why you're cranky. You're chasing the wrong thing. And here's the thing, we can redirect people's worship appropriately. This is the one true God. That's what the gospel message is. This is the one worthy of our affection. He won't leave you wanting. You will try, you will participate, and you will never go thirsty again. That's an amazing thing about our God. You can wrestle through those couple things as you go into your Sunday. Let me pray as we wrap up. God, we thank you for this text in this picture as idols are exposed because of the impact you were having in people's lives that were genuinely following you. My hope is that our culture, our church, our families would have a faith that is so drastic and is so shaping of their lives that the world couldn't help but notice that all the idol makers that we're surrounded with would go into a little bit of panic. And I pray for that level of commitment even in my own life and our lives collectively. God, we know that we can only do that in the power of your Holy Spirit. Pray now just as we sing this last song, this might even be the the anthem of our heart, and maybe a, a stake in the ground, a recommitment to making you the single object of our worship. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, if we can uh, be available to pray for you after the service, we'll have a few volunteers up here. And for anyone that's in here that's like, man, I've, I've never made that decision to follow Jesus Christ with my life. And what better Sunday than today, right? Amen. Have a wonderful Sunday. God bless you.